on today's episode. Yeah, it's all about, you know, being a little bit different. Uh, if everyone is speaking in a certain way, then you want to change your tone slightly. You, that just makes you, you know, kind of stand out from the crowd, right? Well, the next curve, FC Sam Hickman is in the lion weight. Got a band of rushers on You're at home with Stacked. Hey, welcome back to another edition of At Home with Stacked. My name is Ruben Danuach, and as always, thank you for joining me today. In this episode, we speak to expert content writer, Mr. Ryan Ong. Now, he's been in the industry for over 15 years now and has written for top print publications like Esquire Singapore, Her World and Men's Health. He's also been an editor at MoneySmart and 99.co. On today's show, we start off by discussing some of Ryan's run-ins with international crime and through a number of rather intriguing stories, we find out that the life of this particular property content writer is a lot more interesting than we might have initially thought. A little later in the show, Ryan also shares some property insights with us based on the COVID-19 situation and we find out what landlords and would-be sellers can do to stay afloat during these turbulent times. At the end of the show, you can hop on to stackedhomes.com slash editorial for more of Ryan as well as an entire range of quality real estate content. Let's get to it. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. How was your weekend? Uh, pretty good, uh, considering that now things are a little bit more opened up and I can do more than plan my weekend around where in my house I'm going to be sitting. That was during the circuit breaker period. That was bad. Yeah, I think, I think we all really felt the punch of that one. Just not being able to go out, you know. And in fact, because I'm, I'm in Istanbul right now, so it got to the point where the Turkish government didn't even allow us to step out of the house. So like, you're literally confined in your house. If you want to get anything, you've got to like order um, a delivery. And then there were like stipulated times for groceries. And even then, it, everything was like so... It, it just felt like you were kind of in a concentration camp. Uh, that, that is a good sense. premise. That is a good premise for a conspiracy movie. <laughs> Ryan, I, I have so many questions to ask you today. Um, but really, I think the biggest thing for me are these three words that kind of pop up right in front of me here and it's international crime victim can you tell us a little bit more about this so been mugged or robbed uh seven times in six cities now wow no way uh even in super safe japan and uh the one time was it actually even on a plane so this was when i was a lot younger and a lot stupider um i was flying to new york you know it's a long trip and you're alone Mm. right so you're probably going to sleep on the plane. Uh, I, I don't think this happens anymore, but back then it was quite common. So I slept on the plane and I very stupidly put my money in my backpack, which was in the overhead mm. cabin. Mm. And then when I landed and I took it out, uh, I took out the the envelope of money that I had and someone had replaced all the $100 bills with singles. Oh. Yeah, so... Oh, that's it, rough. That was something like a... Five, five, six thousand dollars that that just disappeared, and uh, <clears throat> that was also my first experience with the police. 
uh, in the US and in New York. I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went in there, um, this old tiny looking police station. It's like straight out of the Robocop movie. Uh, <laughs> I reported it. I was sat down in the room and then they yelled at me for like 40 minutes and accused me of trying to commit insurance fraud. And the whole time through, I was loving every second of it. Uh, <clears throat> I, I should feel like a victim, right? I should feel mad, right? Yeah. But I was thinking, yeah. no, no, this is, this is totally Hollywood movie. But it's it's always like the case of the good cop, bad cop kind of thing. Right? Was there a good cop that came in or tried to placate the situation? There was no situation? good cop because he, he, was, he was supposed to just be there to, to hear me talk about, you know, how, how they stole my money and stuff. But uh, all, all he did was scream at me. Yeah, but then, you know, you wouldn't expect... I mean, I, I have to be honest, when I when I put my bag into the overhead compartments most of the time, I don't I don't think that any of my things are going to go missing. Uh, well, maybe for long-haul flights, I, I, I don't guess. think it happens anymore. But, you know, back then, there was a thing where they would work in groups. And then when you're asleep, mm, you know, syndicates, they're, they're rummaging yeah. through your stuff. Yeah. And if anyone did stop them, uh, I mean, they, they could just say, you know, oh, I, I opened the wrong cabin and that's it. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, well, while we're on the kind of the topic of travel, it's interesting because you said that you actually love when you travel. You love staying in Airbnbs, and you hate. And this is a strong word. You hate staying in hotels. Yeah, just because of the safety aspect when I'm traveling alone. Because in in a hotel, no one cares where you are, what you're doing. If I went out there and I broke my leg or I got robbed or I was dying mm. in a corner of a room somewhere. Nobody would know, right? Like nobody in the hotel is going to bat an eyelid. You can be missing for a week if you book a hotel. Mm. and Who knows, you know? Uh, but if you are staying in an Airbnb, if you're staying in a hosted Airbnb, at least there's someone there. So you can text them and go, you know, I'll be back at 9pm, I'll be back at 8pm. Uh, if you don't come back for a long time, I mean... Or if sometimes if even if you don't come back for a day, right? I mean, they're alert to it. There's something they can do about it. They can call the contact numbers that you give them. Uh, it's just that safety aspect, you know, of having someone there to be aware of when mm. you don't come back. Mm. But of course, uh, you know, go for the ones with the super host ratings, the reliable guys. Yeah, well, when you said hosted Airbnbs, uh, you mean there's someone living inside there? Yeah, that's right. So the, the ones where the hosts are living there and then, you know, I rent a room in it rather than rent oh. the whole unit. Because if okay. I rent the whole unit to myself, it's the same thing. Do, do, you, ever get, do you ever get like issues with privacy? Because um, I've, I've always been very hesitant to uh, rent private rooms. Like when I, when I was traveling around quite a bit, uh, I think at the time it was kind of like my heydays and I was just staying in hostels and all that stuff. Uh, but I never really, like, if I'm going to get an Airbnb or something, I would prefer, like, the entire unit. But that, that again, goes against um, your thought process, right, where you want to have, like, someone to check up on you. Do you ever mm. have issues with privacy? No, because I, I only ever go for those with the really good super host ratings. Uh, and those mm. guys are actually prepared to actively host you, uh, which is really good because they put so much effort into it. And I made so many new friends that way as well. I mean, these are the hosts who will... If you want, they'll, they'll even set aside the time to you know show you around, take you to the best restaurants. Uh, and it, it really does help. And I've never felt like the whole privacy incursion thing because they're super careful to you know make sure that they, they don't barge in on you. Uh, they're not super noisy at night. Yeah. Yeah, and that's very nice because in a way, you know, 
you save a lot of time on having to research the place. Like, I think very often, I'm, the biggest fear I have when I'm traveling is kind of like tourist traps, right? So I was in Copenhagen yep. um, and there was this thing called the Little Mermaid. I'm not sure if you guys have been there, but everyone was like, ah, you know, you should go to a Little Mermaid, blah, blah, blah. And I was staying at this, uh, at the time I was couch surfing. So it was kind of like the cheaper or free version of Airbnb. Um, and... I remember my host clearly saying that do not whatever you do you can do everything you want to do here but just don't go to the Little Mermaid because you're just you're just going to waste your time well you can't say um, it's misleading advertising it is called the Little Mermaid well, well fair enough fair <laughs> enough uh, <laughs> on that note actually Airbnbs are doing pretty bad now well I would imagine anything tourism related is doing pretty bad right now it's, it's a disaster story yeah, yeah, but hey, you know, if you're renting an Airbnb, I guess it just gives you the go-ahead to negotiate your price to <laughs> kind of lower it down a little bit. It, it's what we've been doing anyway. Uh, we've been here in Istanbul for the past six months, so we've, it's helped a lot with rental, but it's a little bit sad uh, to see um, a lot of landlords uh, struggling at this time. But I'm sure you'll pick up, uh, as it usually always does in the near future. If not, we're basically just all screwed uh, in this world, so... <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, Ryan, how, can I ask you, how did you actually get started um, writing for real estate? Uh, how I really got started into real estate was through Money Smart First. At that point in time, uh, this idea of, uh, I, I mean, the idea of selling mortgages or doing home loan comparisons is, it's certainly not new overseas, but it was uh, still quite new at that point in Singapore. Mm. And... At that point, when I saw what they wanted to write, I, I thought it was crazy because I thought, look, this, I, I cannot imagine that you would want to write pieces for people to share on Facebook about home loans because it just didn't strike me as being a very exciting topic, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we did what we could and they gave me a lot of leeway to do it exactly how I wanted. So I, a lot of it was really tongue-in-cheek at the start. Uh Mm -hmm. Just kind of poking holes, poking fun. Some is poking fun at the industry as a whole, even. Uh, to be honest, some pretty sardonic reviews as well of certain properties. Mm. But uh, that took off, and, and that did really well. And in a way, in a way that kind of adds human emotion as well. Right? I think that you know because I feel that a lot of articles online nowadays as well, uh, and possibly back then, it's just very robotic. You know, you just come in, it's like okay. Uh, this is the problem, this is how we solve it. There isn't that personal touch. So what you did, like the tongue-in-cheek thing, that would have been brilliant at the point. Yeah, it's all about, you know, being a little bit different. Uh, if everyone is speaking in a certain way, then you want to change your tone slightly. You, that just makes you, you know, kind of stand out from the crowd, right? Uh, mm. But of course, it takes a company that's willing to take a little bit of risk with regard to doing that. So Definitely, that, that was yeah. what I did with Money Smart. It took off like crazy. And then uh, from that point on, I never got many other kind of celebrity interview type jobs and such. Sorry about that. Just pop up. No worries. Yeah, I never, I never got uh, many other kind of uh, celebrity interview type jobs again because everyone just wanted me to write more about, well, property. Mm -hmm. uh, so you started with Money Smart and that was kind of your avenue into property. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, I, I would say about that, that. That was my foot in the door, if you like. Hmm. How How many years have you been writing for a property now? 
six, seven, six, seven years, something like that. And uh, as for the stuff that I, I did before that, when I started writing, I started writing when uh, I was about, when I was a student, I was already writing. Uh, when, I, when I was a boarding school student, I was, I was writing. Back then, you could write little things like the supermarket catalogs, the mm-hmm. small segments mm-hmm. in the papers, right? Even though you weren't 18, you could still write for at that point in time. Mm. Uh, rules were pretty loose back then. Uh, that that was uh, that was way back in Perth. Wait, so you were based in Australia at some point? I went to Australia when I was uh, around fourteen. This was because I I did terribly in school, uh, just on the basis of just having a lot of behavioral issues, a lot of problems, a lot of suspensions, <clears throat> and uh, I I guess they knew that uh, I I had purposely messed up, you know, uh, my, my exams, especially my PSLE. Like, uh, I even failed English. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Uh, that was because that was because I wrote obviously and of course at the back of every comprehension answer. What did they cross the river to get to their boat? Obviously. So the answers were correct, but because of my attitude, everything was kind of marked wrong. Uh, so, yeah, my form teacher kind of figured that what I needed was not... Well, I didn't have an academic issue, but I had an attitude issue that needed adjusting. So that sent me abroad to a boarding school in Australia hmm. uh, because they weren't about to move just because I decided to have an attitude issue. So I had to go to boarding school uh, and boarding school was, it was worse than my NSA. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, it must have been an eye-opener. I mean, in a completely new society, new culture, you're like, what, 14? PSLE, so you're 12. Yeah, but uh, I, I went to uh, secondary school for only like about a year, year and a half before they okay. sent me abroad. Uh, because there was some uh, discrepancy in like when the semesters were starting and arrangements had to be made and so forth. But yeah, that boarding school, there was no privacy. Uh, you lived in like these office cubicle type areas. And you could climb up to the top and just kind of walk around. It's like an office cubicle. <laughs> so you could look in on anyone, anytime. Uh, there were no doors, just curtains. The teachers from school would come down after school to supervise you doing your homework for like two hours. So there was no chance of not getting your homework done. Mm. Uh, they had roll calls where you had to dress up in like full uniform and come down and take your attendance. Uh, you had to you had a schedule where you had to do the laundry, uh, collect people's laundry, fold their laundry. You had schedules for cleaning up the place, cleaning the toilets, uh, and uh, you know packing up after dinner and so forth. So you, you, you start learning to do a lot of like household chores and such. Uh, well, so, so the army would have been a breeze for you then, right? When you came back, you were already like, hey, you know, I got this. I have- yeah, there, 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 was, there, was no, there was no homesickness or upset that I can't go home because by the time I was done, I mean, I spent two and a half years, you know, uh, <laughs> abroad and just, yeah, just, just living under those conditions anyway. So to me, it wasn't a big deal. And in fact, nice. I thought the army was actually a little bit easier because I don't have to wash up after every meal, you know. Yeah. Do you, do you miss um, the the entire Australian culture when you came back? Because I, I think that's a thing, right? Like when people come back after living abroad for some time, they kind of miss what they had before. Uh, was it like a huge culture shock for you when you came back? Uh, not really. Uh, I guess the one thing about me is I've always been kind of adaptable. So I'm kind of mostly at home, almost wherever in the world you, you drop me. Hmm. Very interesting. 
sorry for the slight aggression. Uh, so, so you started property, um, like what eight years ago, and before that you were writing. What are some of the bigger issues that you feel readers of property content face today? When you try to look up details about a specific development, you're going to be hit by literally a dozen different separate websites, all set up by different people. Uh, some of which have some of which have terrible copy. The information between all of them, it's often quite contradictory. So it is actually quite difficult to find a reliable source of reviews for the development that you're interested in. Because anything you look up, straight away, bam, you're bombarded by like a dozen different websites, dozen different agents. Uh, and it, it, it just creates a very kind of fragmented sort of view of what's going on. Sometimes you can't even properly find the official condo launch page, you know. So that's one of the big issues, just how difficult it is to get reviews or clear in-depth reviews of a particular development. And I guess you also do need to kind of watch out for information that's deliberately skewed towards one particular angle. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think any sites are outright lying to you, but very often you find sites that selectively present information, like showing you, for example, you know, only the best, the absolute best rental yields or the, the absolute best appreciation for units within one kilometer of this new launch. Mm. So you don't really see the flip side of the story, right? Like, because, you know, one kilometer, uh, but if you look at like the next 10 kilometers and the, <laughs> there's actually nothing, or it's just a freaking desert. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's even more blatant than that. Sometimes, you know, the appreciation that they show you is just literally the best number one unit in the development <laughs> next door, right? They're not showing you like the average in that development. Oh boy. Yeah, so I, I, I guess just to kind of take everything with a pinch of salt, um... In, in that regard. But with regards to reviews, I think it's kind of... Um, I mean, we're, we're doing that at Stacked. Uh, we've been trying to... I, I think the biggest issue now is just that there are so many different condos, right? So how do you prioritize them? Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so based on that, so we've been talking about, about a little bit about um, writing. What do you think um, the way forward for online real estate content is uh, outside of this writing sphere? Outside of the writing sphere, as in you mean videos and infographics and such, or yeah, like I mean, we recently saw like all those uh, three hundred and sixty virtual tours, and and actually in our previous chat, you mentioned that uh, quite a few people <coughs> actually bought those units uh, just through those uh, virtual tours alone. Um, maybe they were kind of desperate, or you know, but you know, it, it shows that it works. So things like that. Interactivity is, I think, the the next big thing when it comes to real estate. Uh, Beyond, for example, just showing you pictures, right, of what it looks in the interior. I mean, now we are already moving towards a step where we have VR, where you can kind of literally tour it, right, get a sense of it. So that's kind of a form of interactivity. Uh, Another form of interactivity that I think would be great to work on is if if we're going to do a video of the place, we're going to do a walkthrough, for example. I would like a situation where perhaps it's a live stream and people can be actively asking questions while we're doing the walkthrough. Uh, so that kind of interactivity, I think, will be great once we develop the tech and the setup to make everything mm. work there. Uh, and I guess also related to it, 
Sorry, I think it would be really nice to look at stories, to talk to people living in these developments, uh, find out you know, what their day-to-day -day life is like, how that location kind of affects their lives, uh, why they're attached mm -hmm. to a given neighborhood, why they're attached to a given development. Um, that aspect, I think, uh, needs to be worked on a little bit more. Very nice. Yeah, I think there, there are a couple of websites like that um, in the US. I, I can't remember the, the actual websites, but they in a lot of the units that they are promoting or for rental or for sale, they always have like a little bit of a backstory and then they supplement that with really nice pictures. So maybe that's a way forward as well. A little bit of the yeah, story definitely. aspect of things. Okay, well, you're in a way an old school journalist, right? So you've, you've told me how you, you like to read the long form uh, articles like the Esquires and the National Geographics. Uh, and you've also um, been writing way before this like online um, uh, bombard of content came out. So where do you get your content from? Is it all your personal knowledge that comes into to this article? I try to make it uh, from reliable sources first because personal knowledge, I mean, that's that can be quite anecdotal. Um, mm. I mean, I do have some personal experience and grounding in the property market, of course, and quite involved in it. But as far as possible, a lot of it is calling people and calling from a range of sources. So I might call someone who was a former tenant, for example, just to say, hey, can I just, you know, pick your brain about something? Uh, of course, mm -hmm. calling professionals and uh, analysts, property agents, that's the bread and butter, of course. Uh, something that a lot of people don't do, uh, if you've got a lawyer friend, uh, talk to a lawyer. Sometimes they can share oh. a very interesting perspective on uh, what you're talking about. Interesting. And do you ever meet them face-to-face? -face? Like these uh, interviewees and for your, for your articles? No, because I would be fined if I did that right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> During the second breaker, yeah, I, I mean, of course, it's all <laughs> and soon. But uh, it's, usually, it's usually through phone calls. That's probably not a good thing because it's better to maintain, it's easier to maintain relationships if you, you know, you're meeting people and so forth. And I will tell you that that's definitely well, a good thing to do. But I also tell you that true. I don't because... Yeah, it, it's true. But the, the the thing is, you know, you save so much more time. It's not just your time you're saving. You're, you're kind of saving your interviewee's time because to take the effort to dress up, to go out, and then to do the interview, to record everything, come back. You know, that yeah. takes a lot of effort. And then when you come back, sometimes you're already so drained. And then you're like, oh, man, now I have to transpose everything. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, I definitely yeah. see where you're coming from, man. Yeah. Uh, okay. Tell me a little bit more about some of the more interesting interviewees you've had over the years. I'm sure you might have at least uh, met a couple face-to-face. -face. Um, what, what are the more interesting ones, property-related? Property-related ones. Uh, there was a lady I interviewed once. Uh, I She didn't want to give her name, so I had to change her name. Uh, but she was talking about her experiences of uh, living with her mother, who was a hoarder. And she was talking about the difficulties that came with, uh, you know, with later on having to sell the house, uh, worrying about the, the. It's literally she couldn't move about without fear of, you know, a whole mountain of boxes coming down all the time, oh, right? Man. And of course, this is this fact that you she couldn't bring her boyfriend to a house, she couldn't bring her friends to a house because, you know, you, you don't want people to see that, right? Yeah. And yeah. you're always making an excuse as to, you know, why why you can't come to my place, right? Uh, 
the little strange things that she mentioned, like how many hours they spent cleaning the place, because uh, <clears throat> before that, I always assumed that, you know, if you're hoarder, wow, it's going to be full of bugs and it's going to be filthy and all that, right? Yeah, that's, that's what I would assume. Yeah, but the amazing thing about her and her mom was, I tell you, could, you could eat off the floor. They were really clean and they spent hours, they spent the entire weekend literally taking out boxes of stuff so that they could clean the floor properly and then putting it all back in. Uh, and th- that was amazing. Uh, the, the thought that, you know, the connection to these things is so strong that they are literally wow. willing, willing to burn every weekend doing this, moving all the stuff out, cleaning everything, then moving all the stuff back in. Well, that's rough. Was there like some sentimental value to these boxes or, or things? Or was it just, well, I mean, just I'm not, a, I'm not, a need uh, to keep things around? I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I can't comment on the medical aspect of it, but certainly um, her mother had difficulty parting with anything. Even, like, plastic bags that, you know, she brought back the groceries in, she didn't want to throw those out either. Right, right. Well, that's that's very interesting. Um, Really, I think it highlights uh, when you go into a home, uh, it's not just the the place that you're buying you're buying all the history that comes with it as well you know there's so yeah. many stories there uh oh it's very interesting one slightly slightly solemn uh <laughs> do you have maybe a t- uh, t- uh, t- tell me about a more fun uh interview that you've had uh over the years so i had uh there, there was a point in time when i was writing some content for a wealth management firm and their job was to pair people up, like private bankers with high net worth people, right? Mm. And uh, th- there was this guy, they, they weren't just operating in Singapore, they were in the UK as well. So some of these cases were in the UK as well. And there was uh, an, an interview where I did with this guy who was talking about uh, how he bought his properties. He was very reluctant to, to talk, actually. But I found out one of the most fascinating things ever from this guy. And later I found out that some other people were doing it as well. So this mm-hmm. guy, when he when he bought a house, right, he would pay for it all up front. Like literally, wow. if it's $1.6 million, he will pay the $1.6 million up front. Wait, they, wait but just th- for some context, this was in Singapore or? Both, because he had properties on both ends and, and he was speaking ah. like generically. He was explaining why he didn't use a loan. Most people use a home loan. Even billionaires use a home loan when, when they buy a house sometimes, you know. Just, hmm. it's about cash flow, right? And not coming too much of your capital and so forth. Yep. But this guy would buy everything up front. And what he would do is he would buy it up front. If it's $1.5 million, he'll pay the $1.5 million up front. But then he would immediately go out or he would get his banker to go out and find a loan using that house as collateral. So he would buy the house Ooh. for, say, a million dollars, immediately take out an $800,000 loan on the house, and because it was a secured loan, he would be paying super low interest rates, like 1. 1.3, 1. 1.6% per annum. Fixed. Well, that's very smart, actually. But you can't, you can't get away with that in Singapore, can you? Actually, you can, technically. You could cash out, refi a house, I guess. But, you know, you would need a ton of money to buy it up front first. <laughs> yeah, I think not many of us just have like 1.6 million just lying around. Yeah, but this guy, uh, I mean... <laughs> In that interview, he really kind of shed a light on it, like, wow. like how rich people really get rich quicker. You know, if you've already wow. got the money, it's so much easier to make more money. Definitely, yeah. Okay, well, so let's move on a little bit. Uh, 
you actually have two, and not just one, and not, not many people can say this, uh, but you have two board games to your name, one of which I think is uh, Journal Singapore, uh, and it's actually gone public, right? People are buying it, people are playing it. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this? So I did that with my uh, with my business partner, Eugene Tay, when we set up a business called uh, Monsters Under the Bed. Well, he set it up first, mm. and then uh, I, I came on and joined him later. And he was the one who saw that, you know, the Heritage Promotion Board was uh, looking for ways to popularize Singapore history as a subject, right? Mm. Nothing uh, property-related, right? No, no, not not not, not okay. property related. This was uh it was an education company, we taught writing and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. But he came up with the idea of the board game thing because we were both gamers from way back. Uh, I mean I, I'm an old guy, so I'm all the way back to like pencil and paper, nineteen eighty mm-hmm. style Dungeons and Dragons. Uh we're quite used to used to this sort of board game. So uh, we got some funding from uh, Heritage Promotion Board. They liked our idea. We made this Journal Singapore board game where the idea is you play one of uh, the famous people in Singapore's history, like Limbo Singh and so forth. And mm-hmm. you see how well you do throughout like three different eras, from the colonial era to the occupation to uh, just, just towards independence. And we did uh we didn't think that it would kind of go beyond schools we thought that you know the schools would kind of buy a few sets for their classes and then that that would be it that would be nice right but it did it did go to retail and it sold out which um quite surprised us uh that went way further than we thought and then the second one that we did was a battle box game which was specifically about uh fort canning Mm. uh that one I did the initial design, but uh, Eugene changed the design quite a lot, so it's more his game than mine. But uh, I yeah, I, I was doing the initial groundwork for the game systems as well there. Right. Any plans on uh, making a third one, property related maybe? Never really, never really thought about it, but I guess it would be possible because uh, when I was with uh, Monsters Under the Bay, we did a lot of games. We did uh, mm-hmm. we did a bomb disposal simulation one that was for the Singapore Police Force. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Just on a more serious side, uh, if you know IKEA, they they have the small land club for kids, for children. Their yeah, parents, uh, yeah. So we did a lot of the games for them as well. We we organized a thing where they would go to the parliament house and act as ministers and have debates and so <laughs> forth. So we did a lot of game related stuff, which I guess goes hand in hand with education. Yeah, definitely. It's always nice when you combine the both. I mean, the best way you learn is really through playing. Maybe something like a Monopoly. Actually, maybe not. You're probably going to kill a lot of relationships. And uh, Monopoly is a terrible <laughs> game. It's terrible. Literally, we, we had been playing it for since the lockdown happened. Uh, I bought it on the App Store and I got my wife to buy it. Um, and lo and behold, two weeks later, we're not talking to each other at all. Like, <laughs> I tell you, it's a terrible game, man. Don't play it. If if you if you're thinking of getting married or if you're in a relationship, just don't just leave 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 the relationship out of monopoly. Leave monopoly out of the relationship. Uh, anyways, uh, Ryan, zooming out, uh, possibly the bigger game uh, that all of us have to play at some point in time, um, the economy. You you recently wrote an article on the pros and cons of uh, purchasing property in phase two. Uh, can you share with us a little bit more about this? 
So this is quite a common question right now, whether or not it's an appropriate time to be buying uh, given the COVID-19 situation. And typically in a downturn like this, we, we are of course definitely in an economic downturn. The worry among a lot of buyers is, uh, if I were to buy now, what if you know I, I can't afford it later? What if I lose my job later? Uh, what if my business isn't doing as well later on? Because we don't know if we felt the full impact of COVID-19 yet. And then of course, for those who are on, on a more investment kind of level mindset, they're probably just, many of them are just thinking, you know, why catch a falling knife, right? If things are going to get desperate, it's going to be cheaper later. Why not take a wait and see approach? Mm. <clears throat> so there are a couple of things that are on the side of buying right now. Uh, one of which is that if you, if you do buy a place right now, in, in theory, you might be able to find more sort of selective discounts from the developers, but that really varies based on where you're buying at. The low home loan interest rates are a big motive for a lot of people as well. So when the Federal Reserve lowers the interest rate, we see a knock-on effect in the in the cyborg rates. Last time here was in 2008-2009 when mm. the Fed dropped interest rates to zero and home loan rates here dropped super low. For those of you who have uh, saw rates or swap offer rates, you might recall that at that point, the rate was actually negative. If it hadn't been for a clause about the minimum repayment, banks would have actually ended up paying you to borrow money to buy a house. Now, we, it's not quite uh, that low at this point. It's at 0.25. It's kept at near zero. But if you look at home loan rates right now, you can find loans for as low as 1.2%, uh, 1.3%. And just to put that in context, if you were to take an HDB concessionary loan, that's 2.6%. Mm -hmm. So your private bank loan is half, practically, practically wow, half that's uh, the rate of your HDB loan. And the Fed has actually said that they are largely committed to keeping it this way until 2022. So that's, that's always a great thing if you're thinking of uh, buying, you're buying when interest rates are low, uh, that's going to give you a better monthly repayment. You're going to pay less every month. It's going to help your resale gains, of course, because ultimately you're paying less interest. If you're a landlord, it's better for your net rental gain as well because you're paying less mm -hmm. interest. Right? So so that's kind of like on the pros side of things. Uh, what about the cons? I mean, na naturally, there, there are a lot of negatives going on. Uh, what are some of the bigger issues? The biggest issue is... Again, we don't actually know where things are headed with COVID-19. So if you're a homeowner, now is really not a good time to, you know, over leverage and really stretch your finances to the max to get kind of the biggest home you can get because you don't know what's going to happen to your employer later. If you're running your own business. You don't know what's going to happen to your business later. We haven't felt that full impact yet. You need to make sure it's affordable, right? Uh, the other thing to watch for is that the rental market is kind of in the doldrums and mm. there doesn't seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel right now. When the economy takes a downturn, housing allowances get cut. Uh, companies stop using expatriate workers. They switch to local workers instead. They, they try to keep costs low. So who's going to be renting condos especially the more expensive higher-end condos if there are no yeah, yeah. expatriate workers coming in who's renting your 
$20,000 a month Orchard Road condo, right? Uh, even if those expatriate workers are here and their housing allowances are slashed, odds are they're gonna, they, they might not go for the higher-end luxury units right now. So it, it can be a bit difficult for the two, three million dollar units, the sort of high-end units that you find in prime regions with a very high rental rates. Uh, they might have rentability issues right now. They might be forced to cut their rentals. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's going to be a lot more competition as well uh, at the lower end of the scale because, you know, you see an influx of um, those who were previously willing to fork out uh, 10, 15k a month for rental now coming into the 5k, 6k bracket. So a little bit more competition there, I guess. So in a way, it's good, right? For that bracket of um, uh, landlords. Well, I mean, you always have a situation where, you know, some things will be good for some of them, some things will be bad for them. So, yeah, maybe maybe for those uh, in kind of the fringe region areas. But again, even then, we do have to be aware of the fact that, I mean, if the, if the downturn is bad and there really is a drastic, uh, drastically lower number of expatriate workers coming in, you know, there's going to be a lot of vacant yeah. units still. Yeah, there's, there's probably that supply issue. Uh, sorry, uh, supply of uh, <laughs> renters issue. Uh, right. Well, on that note, I guess kind of um, the last question for me then, what what can landlords um, and people who are thinking of actually selling their units before the, the COVID issue hit, what can they do now to stay afloat? The only thing that they can do now is to really kind of be realistic regarding the price and uh, be kind of realistic regarding the situation. I mean... I know some landlords who are so who, who are, they're just not satisfied at what they're gonna get in terms of rent. It's hard to accept that your condo that you rented for five thousand dollars a month is not now the next prospect is offering you something like three thousand five a month, right? And then they get angry and they go like, you know what? I'm just gonna leave it empty, lah. I would rather leave it empty than you know settle for yeah. for that lower kind of rental income, but. Which is I mean, a very there, dangerous there be, thing to do. Yeah, you know, they, they, they are, some of them are satisfied to say, well, you know what, I'll just let my children move into it instead. But uh, I think really a sense of realism is needed here and they need to kind of stick to their plan. Right? There was a plan when they bought it. There was a plan on what to do with it. They need to stick to that. Uh, and if they cannot, even if they cannot get the rent that they want, I mean, some rent is better than no rent. You know, make sure mm-hmm. you you know at least cover your at least cover your mortgage interest rate right with the rental income yeah or yeah. at least pay pay the condo maintenance yeah. and now 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 is it now now is not the time to be picky about that right as for people who are looking to sell they should probably look at getting an exclusive with an agent, first of all. This I'm not saying this just to promote the agents, but it really is true that if you don't give an agent an exclusive, then right now, I mean, you're just going to go on the back burner. You have lots of agents, but they'll put up a listing and then they're not going to refresh that listing as often. Uh, you're not going to be the first one that you know they show. No one wants to kind of do all that work and then find out that another agent closes that deal. But right now, yeah. when you're in a tense situation and buyers are extra cautious, you need agents to put in extra effort. And now is not the time to use that method where you just go, look, whichever agent closes it first and then just leave it out there. Sure. Yeah, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Actually, just going back a little bit, um, 
I, I think another thing as well, which we were speaking about previously, is to kind of open up your uh, target demographic, right? So if you were initially only renting out to like this uh, particular, I don't know, um, family family renters, uh, right. maybe even to rent it out to students, um, to, to single expatriates, even shared rooms, something like that. Students, and this is a personal opinion of mine, also from personal experience, I feel it's great to rent to students during downturns. Uh, first of all, uh, but when I say this, I'm talking about students whose accommodations are provided by their parents. Okay. Uh, rental is almost always on time because very few parents mm. will risk their children being out on the streets. Okay, mm. That's one. And the other thing is, you know, downturn or no downturn, students have to finish their course, right? They'd be here for two years to finish their degree. They're going to finish their degree. It's not going to be a situation where, you know, you have an expert that says, hey, my, com- my company is cutting costs and then I'm flying home. I'm invoking the diplomatic clause. That happens less often with students. Students are going to stay until they finish their studies. Yeah, so and they in, are, in fact, they, they have to stay longer now, right? Because of this extended period. And, um, you know, the schools were closed, I think, for some time, right? So they're doing online classes. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing naturally there's going to be a little bit of a backlog going on. And so, you know, their initial study tenures could have been pushed forward, which means more rental, right? Yeah, that's right. For 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 some of them, that that is in fact true. So, yeah, if you are having trouble finding, you know, an expat to, uh, rent to, if you can't find the old sort of family to rent to anymore, I mean, be be open minded about it. Consider students. Consider renting out individual rooms to individual students. Even might make a little more. Even very interesting. All right, Ryan. Uh, wonderful, wonderful conversation. Uh, thank you so much, man, for your time today. Thanks for having me on. Incredible stories all around and uh, with a wealth of content and property experience, this has been an episode with Mr. Ryan Ong. On behalf of everyone here at Stacked, thank you for joining us today. If you're interested in checking out some quality real estate content from Ryan, myself and a whole bunch of incredibly fun and talented individuals, be sure to hop on to stackedhomes.com editorial. If you have any comments, queries or suggestions, you can reach us via email at hello at stackedhomes.com. Once again, thanks for tuning in. My name is Ruben Danaraj and I'll see you in the next podcast. You know, it's really unfair that Monday is so far from Saturday. Saturday is so close to Monday. You know what I mean?